0: It's important to know Dark Days of Dorothy Gale is solely a reimagining of the novel The Wonderful Wizard of Oz and not the 1939 film or any other iteration of the story. Dark Days of Dorothy Gale contains content not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Dark Days of Dorothy Gale, Aftermath, for Episode 9, Chapter 7, The Saga of the Tin Woodman, Part 2, and Episode 9-2, Chapter 5, The Rescue of the Tin Woodman. This week, we finally return to the wonderful version of Oz, with the rescue of the Tin Woodman, while continuing our harrowing experience in the less than wonderful world of Oz. These two chapters go hand in hand. They each tell the story of how the Tin Woodman came to be, how he lost his heart, both figuratively and literally. Much like the Scarecrow, I did not want to stray too far from the source material here. I always liked the symbolism of the woodman's lost love equating to the loss of his heart. It's one of the more clever aspects of the wonderful Wizard of Oz. While the stories are different, the basics are the same. The woodman lives in the forest, he falls in love, and that love is then taken away by a wicked witch. The Wicked Witch in the bomb version is just that, the Wicked Witch of the East. Not Mombi, who comes along later on in the bomb verse. In Dark Days of Dorothy Gale, I've consolidated the two characters. In my version, Mombi is the Wicked Witch of the East. And trust me, if you stick around for Darker Days of Dorothy Gale, you're going to learn a lot more about her. I've never been too fond of how the Woodman becomes the Woodman in The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. I realize it's a fairy tale, or wonder tale, from the 1900s, and it's really for kids, but I still have a hard time suspending my disbelief for his creation. He loses a leg, so a tinsmith just puts one on him and he's good as almost new. And then this happens repeatedly, until he's entirely tin. No magic spells or incantations. No explanation. Okay, I know, I know. I'm nitpicking. This wasn't made for me. I get it. And yes, I know, my story requires the same suspension of disbelief. So I am kind of a hypocrite. Probably not even kind of a hypocrite. We'll just go ahead and call myself a hypocrite. I get it. I'm just saying. It's not my favorite aspect of the Baum character. Later on, Baum gets into what it means to have no heart, but for now we get a simple debate, if you can really call it that, about what's more important, a heart or brains. And being a guy who has more heart than brains himself, I'm going to go with brains. Also... Can we just address the idea that the woodman in Bomb's version talks about his wife like she's a shiny new car or a fancy game console? I'm paraphrasing because I don't happen to have the text in front of me at the moment, but when he says he couldn't wait to get his new house and his wife, it just sounds a bit... I don't know. Onery. Is that a word? I'm not sure that's a word. You know what? I'm actually pretty sure it's not a word, but it doesn't matter. You you hopefully get the point. Anyways, I'm no historian. Maybe that's just the way it was back when the book was written. I'd like to think that Baum and therefore his Tin Woodman were more woke than that, but let's face it, cultural norms were what they were, and I'm probably overthinking it anyway. My story of the Tin Woodman, however, is of course much more tragic and depressing and violent. Oh, good Lord, is it violent. When I began writing this, I wanted my story to be heavy and angry. It took me a little bit of time to get comfortable writing this kind of story. Not for morality reasons, mind you, but because I've always been kind of a mama's boy. And I knew that if I ever wrote a book for public consumption my mother would be part of that public. There's parts early on in the book where I feel I tried a little bit too hard to overcome that feeling. Even after revising, redrafting, and rewriting, I feel like those parts remain a bit of a weak spot in my writing. Here, however, I feel like I truly got over that hurdle. The Saga of the Tin Woodman is, and remains, one of my favorite parts of the story. It's crucial to the character's motives. It gives him a legitimate reason for being angry and wanting vengeance. And it gives him purpose to go on, even if he spends 20 years sitting at a window. While the bomb version of the Tin Woodman is literally tin, my version is a little more figurative than that. I mean, yes, he is metal, but not necessarily tin, and he wasn't pieced together by a munchkin. He also wasn't necessarily created out of spite by a witch that felt he was just not taking a hint. It isn't incredibly clear why Momby decides to do what she does. From her run-in with the seamstress and her reaction to being called a liar earlier on in the story, We can go ahead and assume she's pretty spiteful. But spiteful in a different way than Baum's Wicked Witch of the East. You could almost make the argument that Nicholas would not have been cursed had he just not spat in her face. And had he not been cursed, he would have even less of a chance to find Beatrice. So in a weird way, Momby actually kind of did him a favor. I can't remember for sure what was going on in my head when I originally wrote this chapter. But upon revisiting it, and recording it, and subsequently listening to it myself, I have to admit, it sounds heavily inspired by Sam Raimi's classic The Evil Dead. The vines, the turning of a regular man into a monster, even Nicholas in the woodshed forging his body into a weapon. It's all reminiscent of Bruce Campbell as Ash. This entire homage is purely coincidental, or maybe the better term would be subconscious. But I suppose, if I'm going to inadvertently rip something off, Evil Dead is a good choice. Last week I said I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Beatrice. And then I didn't talk about Beatrice. Mostly because of potential spoilers. This week, however, it's time to give her the attention she deserves. On the outside, Beatrice is a pretty flat character. We don't know much about her. She doesn't really contribute more than a few lines. And this is pretty much the last we see of her until Darker Days of Dorothy Gale. But that doesn't mean she's not important. As a character, yes, I admit, she tends to be a little bit light. As an idea, however, she's infinitely fascinating and truly invaluable. She is the embodiment of everything Nicholas once was. Her disappearance and death is not only the death of her character, but the death of Nicholas as well. She is a symbol of hope and love. She is conviction and dedication. She is everything every character aspires to be. A shining light somewhere off in the distance, waiting at the end of a long, dark tunnel. Originally, her name was Amy. In fact, the very first printed copies of this book have her name as Amy. It had no real meaning to it, I just needed a name. As the story took shape, however, and as I continued to redraft and redraft and redraft, eh, the characters they became more real and personal. And as the ideas for a sequel began to form in my head, I decided Beatrice was a better name for her. I like biblical names, and I'm fascinated by religion. The name Beatrice is a direct reference to Dante's Inferno. I know that Dante's Inferno is not part of the Bible, but it is an iconic poem detailing the most archaic of Catholic beliefs. It is the story of a man venturing into hell at the behest of his lost Beatrice. This theme is very minorly explored with the characters in Dark Days, but it is heavily explored in Darker Days, and without the loss of Beatrice, that story just could not be told. I realize I could have put more into the character, that I am asking a lot of the reader to make these implications on her behalf. But I feel that the reader can take from the story what they want, and while there may be times in the future where I beat you over the head with my ideals and convictions, Beatrice is best left as a little bit of a blank slate, a little bit of a mystery. Don't worry, though. If you stick around long enough, you'll learn a little bit more about her, and hopefully grow to value her as much as I do. I really hope you enjoyed this week's episodes. And I hope you come back next week for a special four-episode week. That's right. I'm going to read Chapter 8 of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale, The Lion, and Chapter 6 of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, The Cowardly Lion, and Chapter 7 of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, The Journey to the Great Oz. All that, of course, will be followed by a special Aftermath episode to discuss the three chapters. Thanks for listening. I love you all.